Welcome to Blue Jays Happy Hour Live, episode 39. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And last time we came to you was Tuesday. Uh, the Blue Jays had come out of a pretty strong series in Pittsburgh, at least results-wise, not kind of overwhelming from a play perspective. And they are in the process of burying the Baltimore Orioles and putting them, I don't want to say out of reach, but uh, pretty close to out of reach potentially for the playoffs. What has happened since then? Well, you know, they continued uh, to do well against the Orioles. Bo Bichette, still unbelievably hot with the bat, still recontextualizing his entire season in a couple weeks span, uh, looking like the best player on the Blue Jays. Would not be shocking if he actually led the Blue Jays in war by the end of the year, just because that's been a bit of a bunched up field of a lot of guys having pretty good but not fantastic seasons. Um, which is not something I would have bet on heading into the year or at any time during the season. And uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is on the IL and looks like he could be going beyond that 10 days. Stoughton, in the sort of five days we missed, uh, what am I missing from a highlight perspective? Uh, I mean, there was some pitching that went on as well, I suppose. But like Bo is obviously the big story. It's, It's remarkable what he's done. Uh, it's something I think and I hope people sort of keep in mind when they get down on Vladdy, who's obviously had some real frustrating games lately and has not been himself. Uh, and, you know, Bo has just shown like he was the whipping boy for a while. And now uh, and now Vlad's sort of taken that mantle a little bit. I mean, everybody, you know, I, I haven't looked at it lately, but last week I I tweeted about, you know, a frustrating Vlad played appearances and was like, oh, yeah, his, his weighted runs creative plus has taken him down to one point above Julio Rodriguez and Pete Alonso, which is, you know, Vlad's still really good. Um, but, you know, you can you can see it. You can see the frustration in him. And I, I don't think that's the big story. I don't want I'm talking about it. But it's just because the, the, the context of, of, of what Bo's doing is something we should think about with Vlad and, and how quickly things can turn around, uh, though it has really taken a remarkable stretch, obviously. Uh, Bo has been... Uh, they're looking like the guy that we all kind of hoped and, and, uh, you know, some of it is obviously, uh, not, it's not just purely luck. It's obviously he's been working hard. He's been fighting himself, I think a lot this year. And like, he will admit that in some of the pieces that you read about it. Um, but, but, you know, it's, uh, that was, that was always there in him, uh, I think. And I think that's why everybody was so excited about him, you know, all the way up through his career and why it was a little bit, uh, tough to watch people get so down on him this year. And uh, I, I really feel great for him that that is, you know, that this has changed his the outlook on his entire season. It is interesting because the Blue Jays have this, you know, this core of young players they brought together. It was initially positioned as Guerrero Jr., uh, Bichette, and Biggio. And now you could probably, you know, Biggio is more of a bit player and you could put Kirk in there, Manoa or whatever. It There does seem to be a kind of disproportionate amount of, I don't know, pessimism maybe. You know, you know when you have players who are that good and that young, You'd think that they would have a lot of rope in fans' minds, but it seems like a you know a bad three weeks for Vladdy. I know it's been a little bit long longer than that, um, or you know what maybe was going to be an off season for Bo. What was an off season for Bo uh, for Bichette? Not Bichette for Biggio. Sorry, uh, last year, and people are seem quite quick to jump off the bandwagon with this group, which I think is interesting because they're the sort of group where 
you'd think the response would be to just kind of believe in these guys potentially more blindly uh, than you normally would because they're, you know, homegrown and well-liked and so young. Uh, I I do. I find it a little bit odd that uh, people are able to turn away from these players so quickly and kind of assume that the worst. Yeah, I I do too. And I find, I also find, you know, uh, there was a really interesting piece, Travis Sajic from the score wrote about the Orioles and their plan to really accelerate their rebuild and, and, you know, the, uh, which is all well and nice and and lots of really interesting stuff about how they, they think and about, you know, a really advanced front office that has changed the, the, the culture and the direction of Baltimore, but also, like, I mean, how many times do we do we need to see a team that like arrives quote unquote too early, or arrives early and then takes a step back because development isn't linear? Because young players, even though the Orioles' young players are not as young as the Blue Jays' young players, uh, despite the fact that the Jays have been sort of out on the cusp for at least a couple of years now, maybe three years, even if you want to put it that way, uh, I, I think that's really interesting too. And I think that the expectations have shaped the way that a lot of people have perceived this season understandably but i think you know uh, nobody should have gone into it uh with anything but eyes wide open about you know what young players tend to be like like that's something that mark shapiro you know you'll hear him talk about or we've heard him talk about over the years about how there is that volatility in young guys and and it's just it's a matter of of getting to you know getting your feet wet in the league and 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 you know it just it just doesn't for everyone especially happen you know, right away and as consistently as a Juan Soto, as a George Springer, you know, and even Springer, you know, look early in his career, he had, you know, a little more up and down, a little more volatility in his, uh, uh, in his numbers. And, and yeah, I, I think that, that that is sort of part, like part and parcel of what a team that isn't necessarily a young team. I think there was a debate. I don't know if you were in on this, Nick, but like there was a, I there was some people talking about on Twitter the other day um, about like, are the Orioles, a young team are the Blue Jays a younger team than the Orioles? I think it's an interesting question because I mean the Blue Jays do have some some, uh, some core pieces, obviously in the, your Gosmans, your Barrioses, your your Ryu's, even though he's sort of obviously uh, in the background at the moment, and uh, and Springer and, and Chapman. You know there there's there's lots of veterans here, but like really, I think everybody thinks of the core as a young core, and I think that that's you know that 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 has tended to be I think forgotten maybe a little bit. Uh, in the frustration of the team not meeting expectations, which is you know just something that happens and something that you know all this the plaudits that the Orioles are deserving. They've they've had a, a much better year than anybody predicted, absolutely. But uh, you know it's just it's not it's not a smooth linear path upward, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how the Orioles handle you know a whole season of you know playing with greater expectations in this year and i think that that you know in a game that has so much of a mental aspect to it that can that could be a, that could be a thing i think that can absolutely be a thing maybe 15 years ago when i first started i would i would have been less inclined to to uh to think about the mental side of things and, and what an impact that it has um but i think that i think that can be a thing and i think that's the thing that you know we've seen with the blue jays and some of the pressures internally and externally have uh have impacted them somewhat this year. Yeah, on that note, one thing that I saw on Twitter was a lot of sort of snark related to Kirk and Rushman uh, in terms of Kirk being younger and like, oh, this is a showcase for the best young catcher in baseball and all that stuff. It is funny sometimes, though, because, you know, 
a lot of times when you're talking about youth, you're again, you're assuming this linear development is just going to go up and up and up. That's not always true, as we've seen with some of these Blue Jays guys. Also, it's not like you wouldn't rather have Rutschman. And I'm not saying that <laughs> Kirk, like Kirk is great. And uh, we're going to talk more about catching potentially in the show and how, you know, Danny Batts is great, too. And this is one of the best weapons the Blue Jays have to offer. But What's more valuable, I mean, this is kind of the, you know, the shitty front office side is that like some of these Orioles guys are older, but they're also have less service time, which means they're cheaper for longer and whatnot. So like they're functionally younger, even if they're not literally younger. Uh, and I think that gets missed a little bit because the Blue Jays guys are technically young, um, but now they're getting, they're going to get paid. And again, they should just pay a lot and we, the you know, the payroll should be higher, but we know what will probably happen, which is sort of top 10 as opposed to top three um so i don't know there's yeah there's real youth and and functional youth and the orioles have a lot of functional youth and i think they are a scary team um going forward and they may be able to accelerate this thing they've got some really great prospects still coming down the pipe um interested to see what grayson rodriguez for instance looks like so i the orioles are yeah we, we talk about how we kind of burying them this week yeah we're burying them for 2022 like uh and and you know maybe 2023 is too soon but there's i think part of our mindset overall uh focusing on the blue jays is just like the orioles are really never going to be something you have to worry about and that has to have changed based on this season yeah uh, absolutely also i would say i mean who knows what like i don't know what i'm sure they are not paying people very much right now which means they could dip into free agency and and, and entirely accelerate that a little bit more yeah absolutely i mean the orioles haven't when they've been good you know thinking back to 2016 and whatnot uh it's not like they were running pirates or athletics or raised type of payrolls like they did have some guys who cost money i'm not saying they're going to go out and spend like the top teams in the league, but I don't think they're, they're, (laughs) they're not as truly cheap as, uh, as some of the franchises that the Blue Jays have to deal with. Like it wouldn't shock me if in, I don't know, four or five years, the Orioles are better than the Rays because the Rays kind of have this bag of tricks, right? And at a certain point, it's probably going to run out. It hasn't run out yet. They keep finding these edges, but you can only be smarter than everyone else for so long. Like in terms of long, long term rivals or concerns for the Blue Jays, you have to imagine that the Rays uh, are at a certain point are not going to be that team. Like they're just not set up to be the Dodgers win forever. No, I mean, the A's have done pretty okay. You know, not maybe not this year, but uh, they've outsmarted people people for a long time. The Rays have have been doing it for a while too. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And that is a scary thought of the Orioles being like that. The Jays have had sort of a head start, and yeah, the, the money is. Uh, I mean, and this is where this is where things get different. I mean, I know this isn't really even the topic we were we were going to talk about, but like the the money does change things, right? And now the Jays are getting locked in, and you have to get locked in to to you know to guys like your Barrioses and your Dosmans and your Springers because that's just those are the kind of guys you need to add to build the championship team to get from like the platform of the core that you have. Uh, to to you know build on that and to go upwards so you know whether the whether the jays have spent that money as well as they could have will be an interesting question for the the, the years ahead though fortunately they're going to get a new superstar in kevin biggio when the uh, shift gets banned yeah yeah there that's a nice little tidy transition <laughs> there uh this is kind of the big news we've talked about this before in the sense that it's been speculated what is going to come in in 2023 and what you know, they've been looking to make these type of changes for a while. To their credit, uh, to MLB's credit, they've been testing it in the minor leagues. 
for a long time. So I, I know that the players themselves, much of them, most of them will not be used to this type of change, but it, they, they do have some data to back this up. We're talking about a pitch clock. We've been talking about a pitch clock for a long time, but it's coming. Uh, the no shift, which... Uh, Mike Petriello at MLB.com had a really interesting Twitter thread about like all the things you can do that would be within the confines of the new rule. Uh, we'll get into you know where we stand on it and whatnot, but it did make me rethink that a little bit because my first instinct was like, oh man, this is all going to be super vanilla and we're taking strategy out. And I think there's a little bit more nuance to, to it than that. And then there's bigger bases. So we're going to get into also how some of the Blue Jays reacted, some of the, the quotes from those stories that came out. But before we do that, let's just talk about sort of where we stand on those rule changes. Uh, I'll let you go first. I think okay. that we're probably going to be fairly aligned here would be my guess. Um, and I can probably guess how it's going to go. But, you know, opinions change. So let it rip. Yeah, no, uh, I, I imagine because I think and I think they talked about this on the broadcast last night. I mean, there a lot of it makes sense. And then there's the you can't throw over to first base rule which is uh which is going to be interesting which is you know i think whitten airfield had a, a call it it's going to be a track meet it's going to be it's going to be very interesting and i i think that you know if you look at some of the stuff that they they've done here like the bigger bases you know there's a safety aspect to that but also uh you know i think if you if you heard them talk and if you, you know, uh, the whole conversation about this over the years has been about you know the lack of action on the field the three true outcomes you know stealing bases has gone away uh, it, not entirely, but I mean, not, it's not like it used to be. And I, I, I wonder sometimes, or I've wondered since we've heard about these rule changes, you know, whether it's, whether this is the, this is something to appease the younger generation or the older generation that misses like the 85 Cardinals. But, uh, I think that, that, you know, it is like the, the, the speed, it is action on the field. It is, you know, the the ball the live balls uh, can get can bounce away all sorts of stuff can happen. I, I have no problem with uh, with stolen bases. I, I think that like the the modern drift away from it has obviously been about you know success rates and and why you know it's just not smart if you can't do it at a certain success rate. And so lowering that and bringing that back more into the game, though it will absolutely you know fundamentally change some things about it. And I think that the the pickoff thing is a bit weird, and I'm not sure that that's that's going to work. And I, I hope that they have you know. Uh, I'm sure they do. I hope, but I hope they have the ability to, you know, tinker with this on the fly. But I mean, like you said, they've seen a lot of this in the minor leagues, uh, and you know the way that when we've talked about this a bunch and uh, this year, and I've talked about it in, on the on the website as well. But like uh, the way the benches are are composed is different, right? Because we have the limits on the number of pitchers that you can that you can carry. So like that was sort of the conversation all year with Bradley Zimmer. Like, why is this guy on the roster? People don't are like, this guy sucks. What is he even doing here? He hardly ever plays. And it's like, well, because the bench now is a is sort of a receptacle for like different skill sets that can help you in in ways from guys who don't have to like who don't need development time, who don't need to be in the minors getting every day at bats because they're going to be something more than just this like really specific specialized role player. Uh, and so that opens up the possibility to have, you know, these speedsters on your team, these pitch running guys or these guys who, you know, maybe aren't as, uh, as adept at hitting, but as long as, but if you can get them on, they're really, really dangerous. And, and that's, that, that is a big change in the game, but also uh, it's a change to something that, that resembles baseball when I was a kid. 
uh, which, you know, was quite, well, to you, it's probably quite, quite some time ago. But uh, to me, it wasn't that long ago. And so I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting. It's, it's, it's pretty big. It's bigger than, than, you know, sort of staid, traditional Major League Baseball, uh, the way people think about that. Though I don't know if that's necessarily true either. They really, they really turned a blind, blind eye to steroids there for a while, which came <laughs> pretty significantly as well. Um, well, I'm going to get into my thoughts on that, but we do have a caller, and it's an oh, unusual yeah. time, so I appreciate uh, getting a caller. Let's hear from uh, Craig here. Yeah, just have to unmute yourself there. Craig, thank you so much for calling. appreciate it. Gentlemen, thanks for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. Always uh, great to, to hear you guys and, and uh, talk Blue Jay baseball. Uh, what gets me, uh, I hate every single rule change that, that, that's happened. We can get into that. <laughs> no we can get into that if you'd like. But here's the thing. This, this is my number one beef. There are zero fan bases. So there's not a, a Pittsburgh Pirate live going on right now in Milwaukee. There are, there are zero fan bases who have been clamoring for any of these changes. There are every single fan base in baseball has been very vocal, in particular this season, about, hey, MLB, your umpires are ruining the game. <laughs> in particular, your home plate umpires are negatively affecting the game. So how these kindergarten rules came into play before the robo-ump, I'm livid, absolutely livid about it. I, I, like robo-umps yesterday for me. Andrew, I don't think we're going to see an increase in stolen bases. I've, I've never heard a manager or player ever talking about the running game and, and just sort of lamenting, well, geez, if it was a, if it was a few inches shorter, we might, have, we might have tried to steal a base there. We might have pinch run there. I just don't see it happening. The, the bigger bases at first base simply makes sense. We're, we're in a fan base here in Toronto where we saw it end Troy Tulowitzki's career, that, like, like that first place, uh, that, that play at first base. And our number one asset is Slim Daddy Vladdy, so keeping him out of harm's way, I'm weighing for that. But the rest of these rules, guys, I can see a scenario multiple times in a game where the pitcher lets that, that pitch clock, God, it's, it's so hard to say, pitch, my God, where the pitcher allows that pitch clock to get down to one, thinking that that base runner is just going to take off running now and throws it over to first. I will bet you money that the amount of the throws over to first actually, I don't know if it will increase because of the amount of it, but it's not going to slow the game down. And my biggest point here on, on quickening the game, not slow the game, sorry, quickening the game, I've heard Manfred say many times, and he may have a point here, but I just don't think he's going about it properly. I've heard him say many times that the young athletes growing up that, that, that are so athletic this, in this day and age, and they've got a choice. Do, do I, does my career path go baseball, football, basketball, maybe even hockey, which I don't know anything about, but sure, let's throw that in there. And, and, and none of them are choosing baseball right now. Well, the, the very millisecond that any of you hear one young up-and-coming athlete say, you know what, I was actually going to take up basketball. I was actually going to do football. But I don't know if you noticed, but baseball is now, their, their average game is now under three hours. I'm in. It's not going to happen. It's not going to have this effect. And, gentlemen, how do we reconcile in a big game Two things on the pitch clock. How do we reconcile in a big game when a big ball four is issued because of a pitch clock? That's A. And B, everybody throws 100 miles an hour these days. We can't relate to that. But what I liken it to is golf. Many of us have golfed before, so you'll know. If anything else is on your mind when you're addressing that ball, when you're about to hit that golf ball, if anything else is on your mind other than having full confidence in what you're about to do, then you're dead in the water. How many pitches are going to be thrown now with that pitcher not completely bought in to that? That was the right pitch call. I have a good feel for that pitch right now. My mechanics are right for that pitch right now. But they don't have a choice because the pitch clock is running down, so they have to unleash that 100 miles per hour. 
I actually think injuries will increase by this. I mean, you, you can see I'm two thumbs down to every single thing that's been talked about here. End of rant. <laughs> Excellent rant, though, man. Uh, and you're, I'm with you on the robo-ups, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a 100% agreement on the robo-umps. It is time for that. I understand the notion that this isn't something that fans have been clamoring for uh, compared to robo-umps, for sure. And we know, and we're going to talk about later, that's not something that players have been clamoring for. I understand a lot of sort of the theoretical concerns you have there. I think the counterpoint to that is that there is... Uh, you know, there's quite a bit of data on this stuff now from testing in the minor leagues. Like if they were going at this kind of blind, uh, I would have a lot more concern. I'm not going to say none of the stuff you explained is just is going to happen. I'm sure some of it will and there will be an adjustment period. But it, it does give me more confidence that we've seen this stuff used in the minor leagues and the you know the larger bases, the stealing, uh, the stolen base success rate did go up. And I think that Stealing is interesting because it's such a fine margin whether teams are going to be considering something worth a certain player or a certain situation against a certain pitcher worth stealing. Like it really is a knife's edge whether that's quote unquote efficient or not. And if they can bring it just a little bit further uh, and get those success rates kind of into the 70s, which would not be a huge lift. Uh, it wouldn't take a profound change. We'll put it that way for those rates to go up enough. I think that it would change behavior. Like teams are always looking for these tiny marginal advantages. And uh, based on what we've seen at AAA, I do think that stolen bases could come back. Now, whether that's going to come back too much or it's going to be a joke once a pitcher is thrown over a couple of times and it's going to feel like the, like the guy can basically walk to the other base. I'm not saying that there'll be no choppy waters there, but I I would be surprised at least on the stealing side if we didn't see a fairly significant uptick. Yeah, that's I all fair. That. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was just going to say that the only sure. thing I would counter there is anything that's worked in the minor leagues. My only concern, I thought that was fire, Nick. I think you made a lot of good points there. The only my, my only not not pushback, but the only thing I'm concerned about how we keep people keep saying, well, it's worked in the minors. I, I peg minor league players as looking to develop their own play to get to the show. Once you're at the show, it's all about winning games. That's why I use that example of the pitcher who isn't completely sold on that pitch call right there in that moment uh, on throwing over on the strategies. It's all about winning games, and it stands to reason for me that it may take a few extra seconds every now and then to think some strategy through in baseball. I can't stand Brett Lowry. And, and but Craig, don't you have a Brett Lowry jersey? Well, that's a long story. We'll get into another day. Anywho, Brett, the, but the, the one thing I heard Brett Lowry say one time where I'm like, yeah, baseball was made for him then, is he literally talked about why he loves baseball, is he loves the pace of it. That's part of baseball. Speeding up the game has never been part of baseball. It, and and, and I, I don't think there's any way that that's going to attract the next level of, of fans coming either. So maybe this is easy for me to say because it does not matter what baseball for any of the three of us right now. It does not matter what baseball does. We're in. We're hooked. We're along for the ride. They've got us. So this is all about appeasing the next group of fans. And I'm just trying to put myself in their mindset. Like I said, that guy growing up saying, look at that. Baseball's got their got their uh, game under three hours now. Okay, I'm in. I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I got other stuff to do some nights. Like, I don't need it to be three hours. And I, I think that uh, I saw people te- uh, tweeting about this the other day. You know, Grant Brisby did a, uh, did a piece, I think, in 2018, looking at how Mike Hargrove was in the 90s. Oh, good Lord. He pitched, was called the human rain delay. And now like, the, average, the average time between pitches is longer than his average time between pitches. 
You know, like I, I, I the the pitch clock in terms of speeding up the game. I, Jeff Passan said uh, it was like it was. It's more extremely fan friendly. I haven't experienced it. I don't know, uh, but I have no problem with the with with them speeding it up that way. Uh, and I think part of the part of the appeal to the league and the part of the the logic there is that yeah, guys are going to be throwing pitches when they're not entirely ready to do so. That might lead to more mistakes. It might lead to more balls in play. Uh, injuries, perhaps that that could happen as well. Injury both, on both ends of that, because you know, part of the reason you know we think that the, the we see that velocity can 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 continue to be higher when guys take more time between pitches. It just allows you that little more time to recover. Um, and but that means maybe velocity will dip a little bit as well because they're and that and that ultimately should serve the goals of of the of the league in doing this now are those the right goals you obviously disagree i i kind of <laughs> like the idea of more of more balls in play uh of more action on the bases uh i'm i'm not opposed to it and i i think that you know the traditionalist stuff is i think like i said with the steroid issue you know years ago i mean it's a, it's a different game it's a very very different game than we remember so like the the, the argument for traditionalism is like you know uh, they were talking on the broadcast the other week about Bo Bichette has already in his career seen more pitchers than Pat Tabler. You know, it's like the hitters are, uh, you know, you'll, Kevin Gossman will be like, and understandably so, doesn't like advantages going to the hitters. Uh, but it's just, it's, it, and he's like, the hitters should adapt. It's so, so hard. We know it's so hard for hitters to adapt, like to the shift, which we haven't talked about yet, but I'm sure we will, uh, uh, you know, to just go the other way because they have, they, they can't take that time out of their, routine out you know out of their the the swing path out of all of the fine tuning that they have to do to be able to do the one thing that they need to when the pitcher is when when they're trying to not you know when they're just trying to make contact and make good contact on a pitcher who is doing some like incredibly filthy things with the baseball to them uh, you know they don't bunt they don't go the other way against the shift because it's just a net negative we've for years we've seen them fail over and over and like refuse to do this because that that's just the that's that's just not possible with how difficult it is to do the jobs that they're able to do or that they're asked to do and that they do so well and so that is a massive change that's already happened and i think that this is sort of pulling it back a bit towards traditional uh, ways of doing it, even though it's sort of doing it in a weird way. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not even hugely in favor of all these changes. I mean, baseball's great as it is. I, and I, you know, I, I, I think you're right in the sense that, you know, is this going to pull in the kids? I don't know. But, uh, but I, I think that it, it's, I love that they're willing to tinker and to do this, you know, NFL changes, pass interference, uh, you know, every decade or less, I don't even follow. I don't follow the NFL, <laughs> but like there is, there is like there there are tweaks and there are rule changes there all the time. You know, NBA had the three point shot; they moved it in, they created it, they got rid of it. The, you know, NHL has the trapezoid. Like every sport goes through things like this. Soccer's got five subs now instead of three. Like there, it, it, it hasn't really changed anything. And I think when you you know you miss the forest for the trees a little bit when you're so into the game as folks like us are uh, and watch it as often as we do that that. These are going to feel like big, big, big changes when I'm not sure that they really are. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll hang up and let you guys uh, uh, continue with the show. I just want to mention real quick, I've never been on the other side of an argument and had a mic drop on me like that, Andrew. Uh, the human <laughs> rain delay, well, you, you're talking about, that, that was a mind blower. The, the human rain delay, Mike Hartbrook, and it's right. longer now. That was, for a shout out to those of you who understand the significance of that. Like, that, that was a big one. That was yeah. a big one. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your call, Craig. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Take care, gentlemen. Yeah. 
Anytime, man. Please, uh, please, folks, you're welcome to call. We'll chat with you. You see, like, you see that? So it's easy. It's it's that easy. Uh, now a couple of other things I did want to touch on, and we'll move to the players' response because I think that's what's really interesting here. Um, one of them is, you know, Craig brought up the idea of a scenario where there's a huge ball call in a in a ma- massive spot because a guy doesn't hit the pitch clock. And I understand how jarring something that could be initially, but if you think to basketball, for instance, like a guy not getting the shot off at a crucial time just before the shot clock, like that can be an incredibly dramatic moment. I know it's not a one-to-one, but the idea that someone isn't able to, or, you know, in football, them not getting the snap off in time, like these things happen in other sports and it's not considered like, oh no, like the clock has ruined this thing. It's like, no, you have to live within the confines of the clock. Uh, and when you don't, there are consequences and that can create some drama in and of itself sometimes, um, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, uh, there is, be- there's beauty in baseball being a, a, a sport with no clock. Absolutely. But once you get past that, like idea, uh, that's the thing is I think we're just going to habituate to it better than we imagine now. Like it's always so easy to. Uh, overestimate the degree by which we're going to be shocked by change or unable to adjust to change. And at the end of the day, um, we're generally, I don't know, a couple years in, it sort of fades into the background. It becomes the norm. And I'm not saying that that means all these things are great. I don't like uh, the shift banning, for instance. Like, I really don't. Uh, in case you're wondering, based on what we've said, we haven't exactly been like hard yes or no on stuff. Uh, I'm a yes on the pitch clock. I'm a no on the shift thing. And I'm a yes on the bases. So there's my official stance. I don't see it moving. We did have a caller briefly there that I was going to go to, but they seem to have uh, abandoned ship, which is fair enough. Uh, sometimes we get phantom callers pocket the equivalent of pocket dial for call on whatever that is um so let's get to some of these player reactions because that was a lot of the big stories that came out uh, over the last sort of 24 hours or so a couple of them stood out Kevin i'm gonna start with Kevin biggio uh because it, it's very much of a specific ethos i don't like to see our game change he said i watched my dad play for the first 12 years of my life fell in love with the game so i hate to see it change uh, this is how a lot of people feel about a lot of things. Again, I, I spoke to that kind of the fear of change, the overestimating how much uh, it's going to affect us necessarily. It's funny. It is funny just because he will clearly benefit. Like he's exactly the player that's going to benefit. There's no shifting. He gets shifted over 80% of the time. He's actually a pretty efficient base dealer. So his space stealing could be improved by all of this. Uh, and because of his discipline, like if pitchers are rattled and they they end up throwing a few more balls because of the pitch clock, which I don't think we can really confirm with that, but could well happen. He's a guy who's in a good position to capitalize by taking walks. So I can't think of a guy who should be more for these rules than Kevin Biggio, but it is just a mindset some people have that this game is great. Uh, part of what's great about this game is the lengthy history and I'm against change. I don't think that's a good way to go into it. Like you can, look at these rules think about them and decide you know i'm against this that's valid like craig had some points when he just called in there i don't want to say oh if you don't agree with the rules you're an idiot that's definitely not the case but i don't think biggio went in with an open mind no i I think you're right but i mean but he's one with skin in the game and that that does mean something though i tweeted earlier you know uh they'd still be throwing at each other in the ribs for looking at them funny if the if the players were allowed to sort of dictate the rules like it's about an entertainment product not about you know, making Kevin Biggio feel like this is the, the, the game that he grew up with. Um, 
but like, no, absolutely. There's entirely valid arguments against all of this stuff. And, and, you know, we, uh, and the idea that we'll like habituate to it is, is while true, uh, you know, we still we're 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 more used to than the, to the stupid uh, free runner rule in uh, in extra innings, which I call stupid, but I actually don't hate because again, I got shit to do sometimes. Uh, but like, the, I, I like that, it when we're podcasting after. I'll say that <laughs> that's exactly right. I mean, and it's it's that one's funkier than any of this stuff to me. Uh, and I don't know, the world didn't end from it, and and I, yeah, I, I think the the Vigio's response is. Uh, not surprising. I mean, I think that a lot of the, the, the guys in the game have grown up with it this way. Like it, it, it's, it's a change for them, but it's just funny that he literally, as the guy who's going to absolutely benefit from these changes, uh, doesn't want to see them implemented. Yeah, and he also went into sort of the, the pre-pitch in the batter's box routine and stuff, and I get that, and I get these guys are creatures of habit, more so even than we understand, but that also struck me as sort of the exact type of thing that – fast forward two years and nobody cares about it. Like I can't imagine a scenario where in 2024 BJ is like, Oh, I'm that I'm still having trouble figuring out how to get ready in the box here. Like, I just don't see that being a thing. These gloves are just so loose. Like (laughs) the gloves get so loose. Um, Kevin Gosman, so this was on the shift. So he said he, referring to Manfred, believes it'll take away a lot of hits from hitters, which it does. But as a ground ball that now goes to the four hole for a hit, is that making the game more exciting if a, or if a guy's out there in right field and throws a guy out? I don't think so. So this is an ex- exact example of what you said, which is the misunderstanding of what these rules are meant to do. It's an entertainment product. Uh, you know, Gosman's a pitcher, so that's his skin in the game. But uh, a ground ball single is more entertaining than uh, a ground ball out to the guy standing in right field. And the reason for that generally is because it gets a guy on base, creates more action, creates more suspense. Like, I don't know, uh, Stoden. I mean, we could argue about highlight defensive real plays. And, you know, a lot of those are going to be more exciting than a ground ball single. But I'm pretty confident the one going through that four hole is more significant to most fans than just the guy gathering it up in shallow right field and tossing it over. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, I, 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 you know, I know this one is, and you, you say you're torn on this or you're, you're against the, the shift one. Um, I, I, I don't really have a ton of problem with it, to be honest. And, and frankly, it could have gone farther. You could have, you could have, uh, put a, put a damn circle on the outfield for where the, where the outfielder is allowed to stand. I, I, I honestly don't care. I do think part of it that's interesting is how it eliminates the four-man outfield, which I thought that people had less of an issue with. I think you know the four-man outfield seemed more like, oh, we're taking a risk for this trade-off, and it is a pretty significant risk potentially having three guys on the infield and just really leaving that one side totally open. Uh, as you said, it's not easy to do to punch a ball that way or bunt that way, but some guys have been able to do it. Uh, I that that part seemed interesting to me because you could have written it in a way that didn't negate that strategy, which I find interesting. Uh, again, for me, it's it's a bit of an intellectual purity argument, right? Like you could, if you want to say, Nick, the game is going to have more action and more hits, and it'll be more exciting if the shift is off. I can buy that argument, although I think that the shift's effect on the game is sometimes a little bit overblown. But the idea of here are strategies and potentially creative strategies and we're just taking them out of teams' pockets and we're making them more uniform and vanilla, like that uh, 
that really gets in my craw if that's a phrase that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't I know. know. Is it? I, no, I think I, that's I, a real phrase. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you, you don't want anything in your craw. That's absolutely true. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think there, there's something to that. I think it is going to be – like, if hitters had shown any, like, ability to adapt to, you know, all the open space the teams leave them, I think that would be – you know, it would be absurd. But I, I think that, you know, they, they just – they have because they've got – like, there's just so many different guys, different looks. You know, you're only going to see a pitcher – um, like maybe three times, and those are like the best pitchers because they're, they're, a lot of guys don't get allowed to see a lineup three times. I mean, there's just there's so much that is going into just like putting the bat on the ball well that like directing any pitch you want, like your like your Rod Carew, is just not the way the game functions anymore. So the idea that oh well, adapt and hit it into that that gap. It's like well, you're throwing the like a 94 mile, or you're, you know, you're it's insane what you're throwing this field. Uh, it's just like I mean Kevin Gosman in particular throw that like throws like an unhittable pitch basically and it's like yeah we'll just put it over there why like, I don't want this I, I, and and acting like it's uh, it, it is a, an advantage being given to the hitters when the, you know, they have just been disadvantaged by the construction of, of bullpens and the way that all of the that's the pitching side of the game has has, you know, specialized in the last, you know, couple of decades. And I, 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 it's, I did not expect to be sort of arguing that this is a, a shift back to a more traditional kind of baseball, but it is a little bit. I mean, it is weird that it's weird that it's enforced because partly, uh, you know, part, part of the genius of shifting is that it works and that, and, and that it was, you know, within the rules. But I really, yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with, with, switching it at this point and i say switching it because if the unintended consequences are bad then i mean i don't know if i have a lot of faith in mlb to switch it back real quick but like you can you could always switch it back like you know you, you, there might be some years where you're, you know it's like the nhl and the brett hall rule which uh, which we brought we talked about last time with the catching uh the stupid blocking the plate rule it's like yeah there was a you know we do remember that there was a stupid rule that was involved in the uh, in the, the 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 settling the decisive moment of uh, the Stanley Cup championship, still the Stanley Cup still was a sure. I'm sure it was a great season of hockey. I don't remember what particular year it was. Uh, poor Dominic Hasek. I want to say 98, 99, which is weird that I, I'm not enough of an NHL person to generally tell you that, but I'm pretty sure it was. <laughs> but you know, uh, I, I don't know. We'll 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 remember like that was the year something crazy. Something crazy happens every year. I don't know. It, it it just it doesn't bother me. I, 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 it, it would bother me if it was like you say, not as well tested out in the minor leagues, and also if it was like this is this is unending. This is like a tablet from God saying that this can this can never be changed back or never be tweaked, tinkered with. Like I, I think that trying to, to to make games shorter and put a little more action in the field, it seems like reasonable goals to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't, it's so hard. Like, the idea of, like, this is where guys hit the ball. The purpose of defense is to catch the ball. Don't put your defenders where the ball is going to get hit. Like, that, it's tough for me. It's like in football, again, if you had Cooper Cup, like, Cooper Cup runs a lot of in breaking routes. You're not allowed to cover the middle of the field. People would be like, what are you talking about? Like, no, no defenders in the middle of the field. It, 
again, I think it is more of a theoretical intellectual argument and that in practice, when I watch these games, I'm not going to be out like, I'll put it this way. I'm not going to be watching a game next year and see a lack of shift and be outraged. Like there's not going to be a moment where like, God damn it. Why isn't there a guy in shallow right field right now? This is ridiculous. (laughs) So at the end of the day, for that reason, it's hard to feel incredibly strongly about it. It's just, yeah. And I I just shouldn't probably go down too much of the rabbit hole of that kind of theoretical platonic ideal of, of what, how you imagine baseball and baseball strategy, because at the end of the day, uh, that's not what an individual watching a game experience is like. And as you point out, like having shorter games, you know, benefits, you know, probably us if we're doing podcasts after the game, but I don't think it's necessarily going to rope in that many new fans, but there are people that find baseball's pace and length disqualifying. Like they just say, Oh, that game is slow as hell and it lasts forever. And they don't think about watching kind of for that reason. And I don't know if you're going to get those people in necessarily. You'll probably get in a very, very, very small percentage of them, but maybe more than zero because people, there's a chance people look at baseball a different way when on the TV, not like people are looking at TV guides much, but whatever, uh, you pull up your thing and it says seven to nine thirty the way an nba game would say um i do think that that has some value uh, i am definitely in favor of that I, you know that's again that's much more about the pitch clock than it is about the shift <laughs> i want to read one more uh blue jays quote about this because oh, this I, is before, another sorry sorry before you do may, may a couple things there a couple points since we're go for it going. uh one is and i just thought of this as you were saying you know talking about you know getting the fans in and, and, and involved and uh, and how those who think that baseball's pace is is, is disqualifying, uh, you know, I watch a lot of soccer. I love soccer. You you hear soccer is boring. You hear like, oh, it's a nil nil draw. And you, it's like people don't get the, the the beautiful the beautiful game. They don't get they don't get the game if they're if if you think soccer's boring. Soccer's not boring. Uh, but one way to that 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 has been very effective is the proliferation. Prolifer- proliferation of you know the world cup and international soccer and you know what the united states got good canada got good this part of the world is more and more invested in it we can see more games on tv uh but like the world cup is huge and mlb has the world baseball classic coming which is going to be you know which which is sort of which is their version of the world cup and it's something that i think could be an amazing showcase for the game for these rules which is going to happen uh and i think that that's going to be uh, going to be really fascinating, and hopefully, you know, all this stuff is there and does make an, an impact and does, you know, put the most eyeballs on. Hey, this is, you know, this is what baseball looks like now, and I think that that, you know, in, in that sense, the timing of these changes uh, is pretty good. I don't, I, I assume they're going to play under MLB rules in the, in the WBC. I think they'd be crazy not to, frankly. Uh, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, that the shift also. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it just you have to have you have to have you have to be on the infield and two infielders on either side of second base. That's my understanding. Yeah. I mean, that still gives you a lot of leeway. Like a lot of shifts are, you know, the shortstop is a couple steps to the left of second base. You know, they're, like they're, that gives you leeway to shift. more. It's not like, a, it's not like they're like uh, pegged to the spot. Uh, so, and I, and like, as you say, there's going to be, it, it will cause some more athletic plays because if the ideal spot to stand is two steps to your, to your left, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you're going to have to dive for some balls and that could be, I, I, I see, I try to see the positive in it. Yeah. And I, and I'm not saying that there is no positive. 
I do think that again that you know this is the boring take on all of this. It's like early in the season where we keep saying you know be patient, be patient. Baseball works in the way that it's volatile and inconsistent on a day to day basis. The Blue Jays are better than you think. Like I think we got a little bit bored saying that, but I'm going to get bored saying we're going to just get used to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's the reality. That's the reality is that we're just going to get used to it. Before we get out of here, we've really uh, let this dominate, which is cool because I think this is the big talking point. I did want to flag just another big Ross Stripling outing, you know, not truly dominant by any means. He's now pitched six or more innings in his last five starts consecutively, which is interesting because he only has three other starts all year that have been six or more innings. Like they're clearly changing how they use him and potentially how they think about him. We've got two questions for Stripling that have kind of followed his season as, as he's continued to excel. One of them is, where are we with the contract? And we've touched on that a couple of times. I just want to circle back, uh, see if anything has changed on that. And the second one is whether he gets consideration for a potential third playoff start, something which would have seemed absurd earlier in the season. But Barrios... Uh, has not consistently righted the ship, and uh, we're getting pretty close to the to the end game here. So I was wondering on those on that A and B, what's the what's the vibe check on that with you? Uh, yeah, I, A, I think probably still it's a lot to ask. I don't know. I mean, internally, maybe they love him more than you know. You would feel that you know if you're an outside observer that the industry did because I still think the qualifying offer is 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 iffy. Um, I don't know if it's a guy you want to, you know, I could give Ross Stripling three years. I don't know if you want to go like farther beyond that, like 360 for Ross Stripling. Do you give him the Ryu contract? Like that seems like even though the luxury tax is going up and so that's all going to sort of creep up, uh, that still feels like a lot um, for a guy who just doesn't have the track record, but, you know, you obviously really like Give, give, him, give him a bet on yourself contract. I think that would be wonderful for Ross Stripling. As, but and just immediately after saying that, um, right now I'm starting him over Barrios in the third game of a, of a series. Like I just, I am, and I think that you know, if you're the Blue Jays, that's uh, you're. You, I'm not sure how serious you are as a team if you're not doing that. I mean, like that. That's. I, I would be surprised if they didn't. I think they may tip their hand a little bit as to what they think of Barrios in terms of like how they line up their rotation going forward. Like I think that uh, it would be easier to get Manoa into more favorable games against the Orioles and the and the Rays and the Yankees if they uh, uh, if he goes Monday and Barrios gets bumped to Tuesday. But there's still ways to sort of. Uh, to realign things down the line, so that might not be like a hard and fast thing. But um, you know, obviously, they love Barrios enough to give him the the money that they did, and they should have at the time. And, and you know, we that's that'll be a topic for a long, long time until he turns it around. But uh, but yeah, I don't know how you couldn't give stripping the ball in the third game at this point. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I I was pretty resistant for quite a long time to that idea because I do believe in Barrios's talent. Um, but we're getting, you know, it's getting late. I wouldn't say early, but it's, it's getting late soon in terms of there's very little time for Brios to prove, okay, I'm that guy again. Maybe if every single start from here on out, he absolutely pushed, then you would think about it. Maybe if the bullpen was somehow truly gassed and you felt like he gave you a better chance to push deep or the team was extremely right-handed heavy. That might be worthy of consideration. There's some mitigating factors, but Stripling's got to be in the driver's seat because, you know, as much as I believe Brios is a better pitcher than Stripling, 
you know, we're talking about what's happening right now. And right now, about half the time, maybe that's unfair, maybe about third of the time, Barrios just blows up. And that's something, you know, in a third game with your entire season on the line, you can't have. So if the ceiling, the ceiling's probably higher for any outing by Barrios, but you need a little bit of a floor there uh, with your entire season on the line. And Stripling is providing that floor right now. As far as the contract goes, oh, I'm, a, I'm much more hesitant, right? Like I'm, I'm not hesitant <laughs> yeah. at all to believe in Stripling in, you know, starting a single game and performing well in October. Uh, but, you know, multi-season, it, it is very tricky. I think it's going to be a talking point all through the offseason. The qualifying offer is a lot. Um, it all depends on how much you're willing to spend, right? Like the amount of money isn't that relevant more so kind of the percentage of payroll yeah. is a bigger thing because if you're going to go and spend a bunch of money then there are definitely worse ways to spend it with stripling but if you are going to keep payroll approximately the same then the opportunity cost is uh it's you know it's the qualifying offer is a pretty significant amount of money and i think he's taking that offer i don't think other teams are going to pay that and the first round pick for stripling at this point in his career so it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out i'm sure it's something we're going to talk about in the off season but we will leave you here um on episode 39 of blue jays happy hour we appreciate you guys tuning in we do not have a schedule for next week yet because we tend to uh be somewhat disorganized so just stay tuned we will let you know when we are back and uh, hopefully you'll be back with us yeah thanks so much everybody uh talk to you next week